you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do, I pray that you would uh, invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, today we'll be looking at verses 14 through 22, 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22. Now last week I, I said that adult idolatry here in America is primarily that of materialism, and I think that is basically true. In America, the, the most uh, prevalent form of idolatry that we see in America is materialism. People worship things, worship money, uh, worship material possessions, even worshiping other people. Uh, we have pop idols, if you will, uh, and people worship those kind of uh, the personality. Uh, but there's also here in America other kinds of worship. Even when we think about the old pagan style of worship, there is a rise of neo-paganism here in the United States going on today. In fact, if you, any of those who went on the mission trip last year to New Orleans, we, we saw this. Uh, if you will, there you see, can, maybe can see that. Uh, you can't see that very well on the screens, but uh, last year we went to the Marie Laveau uh, Healing Center and we ministered around the area there. And the center picture there on the, the screen is a statue of Marie Laveau, uh, old voodoo priestess who used to practice down in New Orleans. Uh, you can go visit her grave, but people go to the healing center and they bow before this statue and they worship her. If you can see it, if you could see it, uh, you could also see in that picture there's the little candles there where they go and they pray and they light the candle to Marie Laveau. Those other two idols there on both either side, there are other idols in that same healing center. There were several others. I just posted up three here that people go into that place they bow before these idols, and they worship those idols. A few years back, when we went to uh, the Pacific Northwest, we went to, on a mission trip up there, and we saw a very similar thing happening up there. People were very spiritual in that part of the world, but it was not Christianity. That was not the kind of spirituality they invested in. Uh, in fact, they got hostile when you started talking about Christ, but they were very spiritual. In fact, that's one of the, the largest places, one of the, uh, the, the places where Wicca is practiced most often is up there in the Pacific Northwest. And my friend, the missionary who we were working with, he went and he, he took me on top of this mountain, and there were three different mountain peaks in the area, and we were on one of them, and he, he laid out, and he said, these three mountain peaks are are primary spots for Wicca worship, and he had experienced that. He had, had come along uh, some Wiccans. Wiccan, uh, a Wicca is, uh, or Wiccan worship is kind of new age witchcraft, all right? They, they, they worship the, the earth, Mother Earth, and they, they want to receive the power of the earth around them. And so there's a lot of that going on in our world. We see this more and more. People, they're very spiritual. We are spiritual beings, and, and so people are very spiritual, but 
for the majority of our world, they turn toward other things. They don't turn to God. They turn to Mother Earth. They turn to Marie Laveau. They turn to other things and away from God. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be very aware of that. Even Christians, I think, sometimes get caught up in this kind of new age spirituality. A lot of Christians will turn to the horoscopes in the newspaper to kind of get some idea of what their week is going to be like. That's idolatry. They go to uh, the yoga center to find their center. That's idolatry. So many Christians are, are kind of weaving in this neo-paganism with their Christian beliefs and, and trying to come up with a kind of a new way of doing things. And what they're doing is they're engaging in idolatry. Maybe you have some family members who are engaging in some kind of new age spirituality and you need to be able to warn them. We need to heed the warning, warning from Scripture today to flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. If you're not engaged in that, good and great, but you probably know someone who is. And so today as we look at our text, we're going to see three reasons why we need to flee idolatry as Paul works this out in our text today. So we're going to see three reasons to flee from idolatry. I want to remind you of where we are here in our text. Some of the Corinthians here that Paul is addressing in our text today, they are boasting in their spiritual maturity. We're in Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. So what, what's the big deal if we go down to the, the temple of Poseidon, who was the, the main god in Corinth, the most popular god in Corinth? What if we go down to the, the temple of Poseidon and, and hang out with our buddies down there and, and feast and, and their festivals and, and have a good time there? So what? We're in Christ. What's the big deal, Paul? And Paul warns them. He warns them that you can't mix Christianity with idolatry. And so we see this. I'm free in Christ. Right? And that's an excuse to do all kinds of unchristian things. People today say the same thing. I'm free in Christ, so what if I do play around with the occult a little bit? So what if I, I play around with fortune, fortune tellers and, and that sort of thing? What if, I, what if I read my horoscope? What's the big deal? I'm free in Christ. We need to heed the warning to flee from idolatry. If you found your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please do stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we, are, we who are many are one body, for we, are all, we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. 
Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So as we look at our text this morning, first we, Paul starts off the, this paragraph with that sentence, that imperative, that word of command, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. And then he goes on and he says, I'm going to give you some reasons. That's why he says there in verse 15, I speak as, a, as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. He's, you, got, you guys have sense, right? You, you have common sense. And so let me just lay out the reasons why you need to flee from idolatry. Instead of joining your buddies down at the, the temple of the idols and partying with them, let me give you some solid reasons of why you need to flee from idolatry. And he begins to lay out his case. And the first thing that he, we notice here, the first reason that we should flee idolatry is this. Idolatry is inconsistent with Christianity idolatry is absolutely positively inconsistent with christianity and he begins that he begins to show this by laying out some comparisons here first of all verse 16 the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of christ now when paul's talking about the cup of blessing the cup of blessing was the last cup that was drank that was shared in the the Passover meal and so there were several cups that they uh, that they shared during the Passover meal and when we have our our juice for Jesus guest here in the past he's he's walked us through the Passover and he talked about this very thing that the cup of blessing is the last cup the last cup of wine that is shared uh, among those who are participating in the Passover meal well it was this cup of blessing that last cup of the meal that Jesus used to institute the Lord's Supper. And so Paul, he knows this in the Corinthian church, they know this, and so Paul is using that reference. He is pointing to the Lord's Supper. He says, this cup of blessing that we share, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And he goes on, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Now, this word participation is important in this text. It's repeated four times in this one little paragraph. That word uh, participation is the Greek word koinonia, and, and it means to have fellowship, to participate with or have fellowship one, with one another. It, it, it communicates a degree of intimacy. When we join together in the Lord, when we join together at the Lord's Supper, he says we are participating in, we are fellowshipping in Christ. There's an intimacy there that we are we're, we're experiencing. 
right? It, it, it's, it's a way of, that we worship Christ. It, it, and when the, the Lord established the Lord's Supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So as we come together as a church, as we, we observe the Lord's Supper together, we are remembering Christ's sacrifice for us, his blood that was poured out for our sins, his body that was beaten and broken for our sins. And we are saying to the world, we're participating in Christ. And there's a real kind of participation that takes place. There's a worship that takes place. There's a, an intimacy that, that's involved there. We are in an intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's what we are remembering, we're announcing to the world when we participate in the Lord's Supper. We are saying we are in Christ. We belong to Him. He died for us. We worship Him and Him alone. There's a fellowship that takes place there. And so, participating in the Lord's Supper is a participation in Christ, but He doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 17, because there is one bread, who, uh, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. In other words, he says, not only is there a, this vertical participation, we're participating vertically with Christ, but there's also this horizontal participation that takes place as well. When we participate in the Lord's Supper together, we're saying we're united. We're one. We're one in Christ. So there's a participation with God, there's a participation in Christ, but there's also a participation in the with the fellow believers that takes place. There's a, a unity, a fellowship, an intimacy that we are announcing, that we are joining in when we partake of the Lord's Supper. You know, that's why we haven't observed the Lord's Supper since COVID happened. Unfortunately, I've heard of some churches doing this kind of like drive-through kind of uh, Lord's Supper communion or, or communion over live stream. I've not done that. Why? Because it kind of misses the point, doesn't it? It's even in the word communion. It means coming together. It means uh, being in community together. You can't do that with a drive-through. Right? There, there's not an intimacy among the believers if you drive through, do a th drive through communion. There's no intimacy there. There's no, no, no community there if you're doing it over live stream. And so we've resisted that until we can actually participate in the Lord's Supper as a community, then we're just going to, we're going to set that aside for a while. Because there's a participation, there's a fellowship among believers that needs to take place. And so Paul says that the Lord's Supper is a demonstration of that. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are communing with, we are participating with Christ vertically and with one another horizontally. And he builds this argument up even more. He says, consider the people of Israel. He's talking about the, the ethnic Israel there. 
Are not those who eat the sacrifices participating in the altar? So he's thinking, think back to Old Testament. Think back to those who are not in Christ, but, but those believers who, who worshipped at the temple before Christ came. They, they worshipped at the, the tabernacle and, and then in the temple. And there was the altar there as they participated in the, the sacrifice there in the tabernacle and then the temple. Was that not a participation in the altar? Now, the altar in the, the temple and the tabernacle represented God's table. And, and so when the people went into the tabernacle or when they went into the temple to make a sacrifice unto God, part of that was to sit down at the Lord's table and to be in fellowship with God. And so participating in the sacrifice, again, was participating with God. But it was also participating with those others there at the sacrifice as well. There was a, a vertical and a horizontal participation that took place. And now Paul is taking that kind of mentality. It, that, he's taking that example and he's saying, now, now think about this. What happens then when you participate in idolatry? What happens when you participate at the sacrifices at the temple of Poseidon? What happens when you're participating in the, the sacrifices of, of uh, all of these other, other gods? What, what's, what, what's taking place? And he shows his implication there. What's his implication? What do I imply then, he says? He's going to tell us. That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they, are, they offer to demons and not God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. The implication is this. If observing the Lord's Supper is a participation in Christ and with God's people, if participating in the Old Testament altar is a participation with God and God's people, then to go down to the idol and to participate in idolatry is to participate in the idol and the worshipers of that idol. It's inconsistent. It's inconsistent. To, to engage in any type of idolatry and to say you're a Christian is inconsistent. It's inconsistent. You're saying, I trust in God's sovereignty. But then you run to the newspaper to read your horoscope to see how your days, your week's going to go. That's inconsistent. To, to say that I, I, I'm, my life is centered in Christ, but then to go do yoga to, to find your center, that's inconsistent. It's inconsistent. You can't do both. You can't have it both ways. If you participate in any form of idolatry, then you are participating in the idol, in the community around that idol. Flee from idolatry, Paul says, because it's inconsistent with Christianity. In fact, what we go on to read here and see here, that it's actually absolutely, it's not only inconsistent with Christianity, it's anti-Christian. It's anti-Christian. 
We see that in the second reason. The second reason that we, we should flee from idolatry, it's inconsistent, but idolatry is also demonic. It's demonic. Notice again what Paul says there. Well, do I imply that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? Now, he's already talked about this, right? He's already said these idols are nothing. They're, they're pieces of wood. They're, they're pieces of stone. They're really nothing. But he, he goes on to show something else here. No, he said, I imply what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. You see, there is a power behind idolatry, but it's not God. It's not God, nor is it a God. There is no other God but the one true God. So Paul is, is consistent in saying that, that these, these, these idols, they're not gods. They are not gods, but there is a power behind idolatry and it is demonic satan was there at the garden of eden trying to draw people away from god and so it is satan and all of his forces are behind idolatry trying to draw people away from god so there is a power behind idolatry Idol, idols are not God. They are not God. They, they are not omnipotent. Yet, we need to understand that they are powerful. They are powerful. There's a reason that strange things happen around idolatry. The occult should scare us a little bit because there is a power source behind the occult. There's a power source behind Wicca and witchcraft. It's not omnipotent, but it is potent. There's power there. Think about Pharaoh's magicians. Go back to Exodus chapter 7 and 8, and, and you read there, Moses and Aaron, they go into Pharaoh, and what was the sign that, that God gave to Moses to, to show that he was from God? Well, the first one was, throw down your staff, and it would turn into a snake. And so Aaron and Moses, they go in before Pharaoh, and, and Pharaoh's like, who's this God? And, and Moses tells Aaron, throw down your staff. And so Aaron throws down his staff, and his staff turns into a snake. Well, then Pharaoh's magicians come in, and with their black arts, they come in, and they reduplicate that. Now, some of that is illusion, right? It's a slip of the hand type of thing. But some of it is there is that power behind that is demonic that is there to deceive. And so the magicians, they were able to duplicate Aaron's staff turning into a snake. Now Aaron's, Aaron's snaff, uh, staff, getting all my words confused here, Aaron's staff swallowed the, the staffs of the, the magicians, didn't he? But th yet they were able to, to reduplicate that. In the first plague that happened to the Egyptians, 
the sea, the, the Nile turning in on all the water of, the, of Egypt turning into blood. That was God's divine hand at work. But the magicians came in by their, their black arts and they were able to reduplicate that. The same was with the second plague. The second plague was the frogs coming up out of the Nile and, and covering the land of Egypt. And, and the magicians, again, by their black arts, they were able to reduplicate that. When it came to the third one, the gnats covering the land, they couldn't reduplicate that. But you see, there was, there was some power there. There were some demonic things taking place to deceive the people of Egypt. You, you think about fortune tellers and, and that sort of thing. Yes, a lot of that, of, that w what they do is simply uh, knowing what kind of questions to ask. It, it's kind of illusionary, right? They, they, they know how to read people and, and they, they can tell, they, they speak in generalities. I mean, they, they talk about, oh, you've lost a loved one. Oh, well, of course, all of us have lost a loved one, right? And, and so they talk in generalities, and a lot of what they do is, is very deceptive. It's a, a kind of a slip of the hand. It's illusionary. But yet there's the demonic power behind them that, yeah, can make some of their predictions kind of seem like they come true. And so people go to fortune tellers. People go to, to all of these kind of occultish things to, to find truth to find some kind of answer to life and, and yet seems like sometimes that they get it because there's a, a power there there's a force behind it but you need to understand it's not a good force it's not a force of truth it's a force of deception it's a force a, a force of the liar satan it's demonic and it's there not to bring light to a person's life. It's there to drag a person into darkness. So yes, witchcraft and all that kind of stuff can do some extraordinary things sometimes to deceive. But it's all in an effort to draw people further and further away from God, further and further away from Christ. People have often, often asked me, do I believe in ghosts? No, I don't believe in ghosts. Because the Bible tells me pretty, pretty clearly what happens to a person when they die. Those who are in Christ, their soul goes up to be with the Lord. Those who are not in Christ, they go down to hell. They slip into judgment. There is no roaming the earth. There is no such thing as a death whatever, disturbed spirit or whatever, uh, roaming the earth. Now, you ask me, is there demonic forces at work in the world? Absolutely. Can demonic forces call object, all, cause objects to move? Absolutely. They're here. They're powerful. We, we kind of lose sight of that. We think that demons died off when Jesus was resurrected. They didn't. The disciples still faced de uh, demons in, in their ministry, didn't they? And they're still in operation today. There are such things as, as demon-possessed people in this world. The, the, 
forces are, are at work around us. Demons are real. And they are working through the occult. They're working through idolatry. They're working through paganism. They're working through Wicca and witchcraft and all of these other things that are in our world. They're working through all of those things to draw people away from Christ. So we must be careful. We must be careful. We need to flee idolatry. We need to flee idolatry because it is demonic. Not only are demons or idols, they're, they're not gods, they're demonic, but also notice here that they're anti-Christian. Idolatry is anti-Christian. Look what it says there in verse 21. Paul makes it clear, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You cannot. That's clear. That's clear. You cannot. You're not able. You can't do both. You can't have a little bit of Christ and a little bit uh, of this other thing. You can't have a little Christ and a little of the cult. You can't have a little Christ and a, a little of paganism. You can't have a little bit of both. You can't do both. You can't participate in Christ and participate in demons. It's anti-Christian. It's anti-Christian. We need to flee idolatry because it is anti-Christian. It's demonic. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Certainly, if you cannot serve God and money, you can't serve God and a demon. You can't have it both ways. Flee from idolatry because it's demonic. Oh, how Hollywood likes to romanticize the occult. They make it look so attractive. But be warned, dear friend, the occult, witchcraft, all of that stuff is demonic. Do not play around with horoscopes. Do not play around with the occult. Flee from idolatry. Because it only draws you away from Christ. So we should flee idolatry because it's inconsistent with Christianity, because it's demonic. Third, flee idolatry because idolatry is offensive to God. And this is so important to see. Idolatry is offensive to God. Look at the last verse, verse 22. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? The Lord is a jealous God. Now we need to think about that for just a minute. The Lord is a jealous God. This is that, that doctrine that drew Oprah away from Christianity uh, because uh, I think a preacher was probably preaching on this very text talking about God's jealousy. And we think of jealousy as a bad thing. And often, 
Jealousy is a bad thing. Right? If, if you have a boat, and I like your boat, and I'm jealous of you because of your boat, that's bad, right? Because that's a, a wrong kind of jealousy. You have something I want, so I'm jealous because you have it. That's a covetous type of jealousy. That's a wrong kind of jealousy. That's a sinful kind of jealousy. But now, is there ever a good kind of jealousy? Is there ever a good kind of jealousy? Yes, there is a good and righteous kind of jealousy. John Piper gives a good definition of good jealousy. He says, a good jealousy is a joyful desire to receive the affections from another person that really belong to you or an appropriate indignation if the affections that belong to you are being given to are not being given to you they're being given to someone else so think about this a husband and a wife the wife is given attention she's flirting with another man She's given attention to another man that should be reserved for her husband. Is the husband right in being jealous for his wife's affections? Affections that are only supposed to be given to the husband? Yes! Absolutely! And that's what God says. He's our husband. And he's, he says, if you're an adulterous wife and you're chasing after foreign gods, idols, then I will be jealous because you're giving my affection to someone else. It is good and righteous for God to be jealous for affections that only He deserves. He is jealous for His glory. My glory I will share with no one, God says. You're not going to praise and give glory to an idol for what I have created and given you, God says. God is a jealous God. And He is not going to share the glory and honor and affections that He deserves as our Creator and our Sustainer with anything or anyone else. He's a jealous God. And he is right to be jealous. He is a right, he has a right to demand our affections. He has a right to demand our loyalty to him. He has a right to be jealous for us. God is a good God who only has good jealousy for people, His people. So, the Lord is a jealous God, and therefore, idolatry incurs God's wrath. Paul indicates this in that last, last little question there. Are we stronger than He? Or some translations say, uh, we're not stronger than he is, are we? Or something like that. But he, what he's getting at here is that we can't overcome God. 
God is a jealous God. And when we start giving our affections, affections that, that should be reserved to God, for God, and when we start giving those affections to other things, whether it be material things or demonic things or even other people in this world, then God gets jealous. And His jealous eventually will boil over into His wrath. Think about what we talked about last week when the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 25 when they, when they whored after the, boar, the, the bell of Peor and God became jealous because they gave affection that was reserved for God to this idol, to the bell of Peor and God was jealous. And he poured out his wrath upon those idolaters. And 23,000, Paul said, died in a single day. Idolatry deserves the righteous judgment, the righteous wrath of God. Now think about that. Because we can think about that in our own little context. We may not be falling down before Marie Laveau. We may not be falling down to paganism or Wicca or, or any of these other things. But how often do we give our affections Affections that should only be God's to someone else. How often do we give our affections, affections that only belong to God, to material things? How often do we put other things, the things of this world, before God? And we deserve God's wrath. But I want us to know that even though each and every one of us in here deserve God's wrath because of our own form of idolatry, God loved us. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So that by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we escape God's wrath, His righteous wrath for our idolatry, and every one of us in here are guilty of some form of idolatry. Christ died to forgive us of our, our idolatry. We escape God's just wrath because of Christ. And if anyone is here, anyone is listening in, and, and you know today that you have committed adultery, idolatry against God whether it be materialism whether it be paganism whether it be whatever kind of ism it might be if you see today you've committed idolatry against the holy God and you're deserving of God's righteous wrath 
turn to Jesus. Turn to Christ today. Escape the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. Idolatry is offensive to God. There is but one God, and there is but one way to God. All of the idols in the world will never get you to God. In fact, all they will earn you is the righteous wrath of God and judgment for worshiping what is not God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. Idolatry is offensive to God. Therefore, flee idolatry and turn to Christ. Turn to Christ, the only way to God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and your warning to us today. Lord, even as I I look across the church today, Lord, we don't see a whole lot of what we would think of paganism in, in our area here. Even though New Age spirituality and all of that, it's, it's coming, it's bleeding in all around us. But Lord, if we're honest, all of us have engaged in some kind of idolatry in our lives. Lord, there's been something that we've put up and exalted above you in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Lord, even that kind of idolatry is demonic because it's the the world, the, the prince of the power, the air, drawing us away from you. And Lord God, all we can say is, Lord, please help us to identify the idols in our lives and and get rid of them, to flee from them, to do whatever it takes to, to get them out of our lives so that it would never draw us away from our relationship with you. But Lord, for others, they've experimented with new age spirituality. They've experimented with, with the occult. They've experimented with all of these kinds of things in the world this idolatry that's going on in the world lord i pray that you would help them to see the deceptiveness behind all of those things lord and lord turn them to jesus today this i pray in christ's name amen